Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, Saskatchewan's Water Security Agency has released the 2023 Conditions at Freeze Up report. We'll have all the details on that. As well, there's more news on Bill C-234. Ontario Conservative MP Adam Chambers says senators should, in his words, learn their place in a democracy and go back to being what he calls invisible instead of holding up a carbon pricing farm bill. The CEO of the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association says he's not surprised by the provincial government having to pay a lot of crop insurance claims this year. We'll hear from Grant McClellan on that. The world is in a state of uncertainty with war, supply chain challenges, protectionism and severe weather events. Stephen Nicholson is Rabobank's global sector strategist for grains and oil seeds. We'll hear from him as well. And the voting deadline for the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission director election is just hours away. We'll hear from the candidates. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. Saskatchewan's Water Security Agency, or WSA, has released the 2023 Conditions at Freeze-Up report. Hot and dry conditions throughout the summer and fall have led to most areas of the province heading into the winter with below to well below normal soil moisture. While some areas of the province experienced higher than normal spring runoff events due to an unusually fast spring thaw, the last half of the summer and early fall were drier than normal. Apart from Lake Diefenbaker, which has been impacted by dry conditions in the headwater areas in Alberta, most larger water supply reservoirs across southern and central Saskatchewan are at near-normal elevations for this time of year. At this time, there are no areas where the WSA believes that there is a heightened risk of above-normal spring runoff in 2024. There is, however, concern of surface water supply issues in the southwest if winter snowfall is below average. In some cases, an above-normal snowpack would be required to stave off extremely dry conditions. An early snowfall event occurred across much of southern and east-central Saskatchewan. This snowfall was followed by below-normal temperatures, 
leaving a lot of these areas snow-covered. Two runoff scenarios could emerge next year because of this precipitation, increased soil moisture or higher runoff flows. Snow surveys in February of 2024 will help determine if the moisture will infiltrate into the soil or run off toward reservoirs. The most recent precipitation seen as both rain and snow in early November is not captured in this report. This precipitation event has improved soil moisture conditions across most of the southeast, although conditions are still generally considered dry. The exception to this is the Regina area, where considerable precipitation was received that would have improved fall soil moisture conditions to near normal. Across the southeast, the added moisture could potentially create a frost layer that may reduce infiltration in the spring. The WSA issues the conditions at freeze-up report during the late fall-early winter period. Freeze-up conditions in combination with the winter snowpack became the initial base for the spring snowmelt runoff forecast. This report gives an early indication of areas that are more vulnerable to potentially above or below normal runoff in the spring. It is not a spring runoff forecast as winter snow accumulation is an integral component in the runoff yield during the melt and is impossible to predict at this juncture. This assessment is compiled with data from various sources including Environment and Climate Change Canada and the U.S. National Weather Service. Current long-range forecasts and climate indices suggest near-normal precipitation and above-normal temperatures through the winter months over much of the province. A long-term El Nino pattern has developed, which typically means a drier and warmer winter for Saskatchewan. The initial spring runoff outlook for 2024 will be issued in early February. Meanwhile, Ontario Conservative Member of Parliament Adam Chambers says Senators should, in his words, learn their place in a democracy and go back to being what he calls invisible instead of holding up a carbon pricing farm bill. The Conservatives insist the unelected Senate is blocking a bill that would remove the carbon levy from natural gas and propane that's used on farms. MPs will vote later today on a Conservative motion exhorting the Senate to stop stalling and pass the bill, which the House of Commons voted for last spring. The government exempted gasoline and diesel used on farms from carbon pricing because there are no alternatives, but say there are steps farmers can take to reduce their use of natural gas and propane. Farmers have complained that carbon pricing is costing them tens of thousands of dollars, and that alternatives and efficiencies that would lower their carbon price bills are too expensive. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the Senate should always take into account the will of the House of Commons, but also has important work of its own to do. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Fund traders were actively covering bearish bets in canola during the week ended November 21st, buying back some previously placed short positions. 
That's according to the latest Commitments of Traders report from the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. The report was delayed due to the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. As of November 21st, the net managed money short position in Ice Canola Futures came in at 87,007, down about 11,000 from the previous week. Open interest in the canola market came in at 265,295 contracts, down by 13,291 on the week. At the Chicago Board of Trade, fund traders liquidated some of their large net long position in soybeans, taking it to roughly 85,800 contracts from 95,300 the previous week. Green lentil bids in Western Canada are trading at their highest levels of the past year, with solid new crop pricing opportunities already becoming available. Spot bids for large green lentils can currently be found in the 60 to 72 cents per pound area, according to Prairie Ag Hotwire data, with new crop contracts hitting 50 cents in some areas. Pulse merchant David Nobbs of Purely Canada in Saskatchewan says solid end-user demand, coupled with a lack of significant farmer selling interest, was behind much of the strength in green lentils, with weakness in the Canadian dollar also supportive. Red lentil prices have failed to see the same strength as green lentils, with current bids in the 36 cents per pound area after hitting 41 cents earlier in the fall. Nobbs notes significant demand from India, but that was not translating into higher Canadian prices as Australia had a large crop providing competition. U.S. authorities have lifted an order that required sows from one Manitoba assembly yard to be certified free of Seneca Valley virus before crossing the border. The U.S. Department of Agriculture confirmed Canada in the second last week of November had now met protocol conditions for Seneca Valley virus and has lifted the health certificate requirement. Earlier this year, the U.S. started requiring a veterinary export certificate for cull sows from one Manitoba assembly yard following a rise in Seneca Valley virus cases at U.S. packing plants. Seneca Valley virus does not have serious veterinary implications, but it shares symptoms with much more worrisome illnesses like foot and mouth disease. If animals arrive at processing sites with these symptoms, an investigation is triggered to rule out the weightier diseases. Two Minnesota men have been rescheduled for sentencing after pleading guilty in connection with an organics crop conspiracy to sell $46 million in non-GMO corn and soybeans as organic. Yesterday, the sentencing was rescheduled for December 14th at two separate times. James Clayton Wolfe and his nephew Adam Clifford Olson originally were scheduled for sentencing at the end of October before the court abruptly cancelled. The indictment alleges Wolfe grew conventionally farmed crops using chemical fertilizers and pesticides, which would be in violation of organic farming standards. Olson was later added to the indictment for his alleged role in the scheme. Organic crops are grown without the use of GMOs or chemicals, and farmers are required to follow strict protocols when it comes to planting, fertilizing, harvesting, storage, and transportation of the crops labeled as organic. 
Farmers in Gaza are taking advantage of the truce between Israel and Hamas to harvest what was left of their olives after weeks of fighting during which they dared not to go to their lands for fear of getting killed. In a normal year, the harvest would have started weeks earlier, but until the truce, farmers were afraid of being mistaken for Hamas militants and targeted by Israeli forces if they ventured out into the olive groves. Some lands were also damaged by fighting or the passage of military vehicles, while some farmers were displaced from their homes and unable to get back to their groves. Normally, they would harvest enough olives to fill 12 containers, but this year they would fill just one. There were other problems linked to the war, such as a lack of fuel to transport the olives to the nearest press. And be sure to listen to the latest Saskag Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will resume right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and plus two degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at one o'clock. The CEO of the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association says he's not surprised by the provincial government having to pay a lot of crop insurance claims this year. Grant McClellan was commenting on the Saskatchewan Party government's mid-year financial report that showed a $250.5 million deficit. A stark contrast from the more than $1 billion surplus reported earlier this year a major factor pulling the finances to the red was an increase in agriculture expenses by $853 million due to the rise in crop insurance claims and other programs as a result of severe drought in parts of the province this summer. We know that programs that are cost-shared between producers and government, they are designed to kick in in situations where drought is severe or severe enough uh, that producers find themselves in a claim position. So I would say that we're not surprised, uh, certainly based on our activity this uh, this year, that the government is paying out crop insurance claims and, and a number of other things, including agri-recovery. Uh, certainly we're not surprised that they're drawing on those programs. Finance Minister Donna Harpower says the drought was unforeseen, resulting in crop production dropping by 20%. McClellan also thought the drought was unforeseen. It's definitely unforeseen in a number of areas. For the drought to have continued on in the way that it has over the past number of years, um, you know, outside of uh, regular rainfall levels, and, and I think I would say our producers anticipate as well, earlier in the year there was a lot of optimism uh, that uh, moisture levels were going to get back to a point that was certainly usable or or reasonable. and. But it calls into question, you know, how likely are these droughts to continue? Uh, certainly we hope they don't. But, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone can predict the weather uh, as far back as, as March or February when the province is releasing their budget. It does give McClellan flashbacks of the government's response to the 2021 drought. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, the comments, uh, obviously, from the finance minister are... Very similar to what happened in 2021, I, the payout for crop insurance was even larger that year. Uh, we know these 
payments um, and the premiums that uh, go into crop insurance have been paid and set aside by the province. So we do appreciate these programs are there and they work, you know, as best as we expect them to. Um, and certainly we expect them to make payments when there's a drought. But uh, it's it's disappointing and discouraging, of course, that we continue to be faced with these type of weather situations. Um, I think we'd all appreciate some moisture in the province in the coming months and years ahead. Harpower also told reporters at Monday's news conference that droughts don't last forever and she hopes we'll return to a more average year or a good year. McClellan hopes for the same thing. That is certainly the uh, comments that I hear from my producers is it would sure be nice if we could get some moisture in. And uh, we certainly don't want to lean on the government for programs like this when conditions improve. Our producers very much appreciate years where they do not have to draw down on crop insurance or agri recovery. Uh, I think we'd all prefer not to have those types of programs be utilized. I think we'd like a bit of rain and, and a good year. Minister Harpower reassured farmers that it's not their fault for the current state of the province's finances and explained that the money used in support programs must be recorded as an expense. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for December are trading at 171.85 this afternoon. That's up 20. February live cattle trading at 173.15, up 32. January feeder cattle trading at 221.95, up 90. March feeder cattle trading at 223.82, up 32. December lean hogs trading at 68.82, that's down 10. February lean hogs trading at 70.10, that's up 107. And that's the livestock market conditions. The world is in a state of uncertainty. War, supply chain challenges, protectionism, and severe weather events are impacting food security around the world. Stephen Nicholson is Rabobank's global sector strategist for grains and oilseeds. You look at it and you think about, and I have to tell you, I saw this graphic on Barron's this week, and it was a Rubik's Cube with the globe on it. And what was happening is the Rubik's Cube is spinning at the same time the globe is spinning. And I thought it was an apt depiction because not only do you have a, the globe spinning, but then you have these sharp edges where things fall off. And, and my title is, you know, markets and the world on the edge. And you have so many things happening all at once to consider. Think about the stock situation when you think about wheat and rice in the world. And then you look at the exporter stock situation, and that's tight. You look at what's happened. Ukraine is no longer shipping four to six million metric tons a month. They're just kind of getting a million metric tons out the door these days. You have, of course, all the conflicts in the world of the Russian-Ukraine war is still ongoing and causing all sorts of havoc. You then now have the conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Thank goodness it's on a, a ceasefire at the moment. You certainly have a working dialogue between the Chinese and the United States to try to at least ease some tensions a little bit, and that's a good thing. And then you have, you know, the issues with weather. You start to look around the world and you see drought maps looking better than just a few months ago. 
But the fact is that topsoil and subsoil moisture is extremely short. And so you're going into wintertime with not much moisture in some ground that could be a problem as we come in next spring. And oh, by the way, Brazil has had too much rain in the south, too little rain in the north, port logistics issues. So I can go on, but it speaks to me about the fact how complicated and how much turbulence there is in the world right now. And I think that I think why that we react to this the way we do is we've kind of had 30 years, and, and I think the best way to put it is sort of peace and prosperity around the globe, and we lifted a lot of people out of poverty or hunger issues. And now you think back before the wall fall and think about, you know, we had the war in Vietnam. We had conflicts in the Middle East at the time. We had oil embargoes and, you know, civil rights movements and all sorts of upheaval. And we're kind of back to that time again. And I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten that. And, but this is more normal than what we went through the last 30 years. He says it can be compared to high interest rates that we're suffering from right now. Exactly. And that's the thing I, I tell people. And it's funny when you talk to the, we'll say the old producers, and they talk about, you know, we, we see higher interest rates. You know, I need to buy a piece of land. I'm going to pay six and a half, seven and a half percent for the interest rates. And they go, I don't like that, but that's better than 17, 18% I paid at one time. And so it's all in your perspective. And you're right. There's a, you know, we have at least a generation that's never seen higher interest rates and not that 5%, you know, the U.S. prime rate is five, five and a half percent. Not that that's really high, but they've never seen anything like that. And so it seems high to them. That's a, that's a really good example as well. Nicholson provides his outlook for wheat and canola next year. I think when we think about what's happening in Saskatchewan and think across, you know, the greater, you know, prairie provinces, is certainly wheat and canola, as you say, are the biggest crops. I think we'll see a little bit of a decline in wheat acres. It's going to be really dependent upon the margins, obviously, but we are concerned about wheat margins are going to get squeezed further than canola margins. And this is kind of a, an oilseed complex phenomena is that the oilseed complex is very strong. Part of this because of biofuels. And then you start to look around Saskatchewan and you think about all the new crushing plants that are coming across the prairie provinces. And those are going to, you know, you're going to start to see more of that pressure if you have or that buying need uh, in 24. So I think that that will coax a few more acres into canola going forward. But, you know, there are challenges with that as well, depending on the rotation you have and all the pieces like that. But we do think we'll see a few more canola acres because we believe the margin will be better for that in 24. He notes Saskatchewan overestimated its potash revenue for this year. You know, the thing about that is that we have to go back to when the Russian-Ukrainian war started, and people were very concerned about that. And, you know, those the potash manufacturers or producers in countries outside of the frontline states of Eastern Europe said, you know what, we need to produce because we need to we need to be there for our customers, whether they're here in North America or South America or Australia or even Europe, for that matter, uh, you know, ramped up production to be able to meet that demand. And also, in some ways, that's come back to hurt them now. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, it just it comes back and lower revenues like you like you describe. Now, you know, for the farmer, that was a good thing because they were able to get supply because that was the first concern is, are we able to even be able to get it, which we were able to get it, but it cost us money. And now it's not going to be quite as pricey as it was. We've seen fertilizer prices overall really come down and our, our affordability index shows, shows that very clearly uh, that those costs have come down and much more affordable for the producer. 
Nicholson says it's very difficult to predict where grain and oilseed futures are headed. And I would like to be able to tell you that this is the shoe you need to watch that might drop. But there's so many things that could could get worse. Wonder if Russia really ramps up the invasion, unlikely probably this winter, you know, really pushes, makes a hard push into Ukraine. Then that will certainly kind of bring a caution to the world. Whether China appears to be getting healthier, that's a good news thing. So they're going to continue to need food and they're, you know, they're continuing to maintain a very high stock level of the major commodities uh, because their number one priority is food security. But do interest rates go up farther? You know, all economists have been predicting a recession. It's been the longest predicted recession that's never happened. And most people, you know, you know, we're now, for the most part, through the fourth quarter of this year, and the recession doesn't appear to be here. And so now it's all in the, in the first quarter of next year. But when you look at overall demand globally on an aggregate basis, recessions don't tend to have much impact on that demand. You know, on that demand, it continues to climb. And you look at domestic demand, it continues to climb, and, and you can look at almost any country, whether it's an importing or an exporting country, that demand is, is very solid. And I think that's where, when I think about Canada and think about what's happening here, while wheat demand doesn't really change all that much, it changes with population growth. But you look at canola demand, you know, that continues to go up, and that's going to be more held domestically than for the export market. And so that changes the market producers and grain companies need to sort of change that focus and think about this is the market we need to service because this is the market wants our product. So it's a time, I think, for producers and buyers of grain, you need to be on your best game and be ready and also be, whether you're a seller, be ready for that rally and reward that rally. And at the same time, if you're a buyer, uh, be willing to reward a downturn in the market and, and take some coverage on so that you're prepared because you don't know whether you get that opportunity again, just the volatility in the market going forward. He then notes Canada ranks high in the world when it comes to the big grain and oilseed producers. Well, I think you are. And granted, it comes to the fact that Canada is ready. Your logistics, both interior and the ports, are you have plenty of capacity to move grain if need be. You know, the challenge has been you haven't been competitive in the global market primarily because of Russia, because Russia is willing to move grain onto the market at very, very cheap prices, and the big importers are willing to do business with them despite everything that's happened. So I think, you know, Canada is in a good position to move when it's available, and I think the wheat market, as we get into the second half of the crop year, will become tighter, particularly for milling quality wheat, and that that will be a good thing for the Canadian market because they're going to have the ability to move it and have that grain available to move to customers in the future. So, And the fact is that Canada, like Mexico and like the United States, one of my reminders is don't forget about your neighbors because your neighbors are your best customers. You know, the amount of canola oil coming down to the border, the amount of corn that Mexico buys from the United States are two examples of customers that are nearby that are very good customers and will be there today, be there tomorrow, be there next week or even next year. So I think those are a couple things for people to think about. Um, as we look down the road into 24 and even even just in the next you know few months. Stephen Nicholson of Rabobank was one of the feature speakers this morning at the Grow Canada conference in Calgary. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford.
Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down for the most part this afternoon. January canola trading at 703.50, down $4.10. March canola trading at 708.40, down $3.10. December Minneapolis wheat trading at 6.98 per bushel, that's up three and a half cents. December Kansas City wheat trading at 6.35 and a quarter up 22 and a quarter cents. December Chicago wheat trading at 556 and a quarter up 12 and a half cents. December corn trading at 450 per bushel down one and a half cents. January soybeans trading at 1346 and a quarter down a quarter of a cent. December oats trading at 358 and a quarter down a quarter of a cent. And that's the commodities update. The voting deadline for the Saskatchewan Barley Development Commission director election is just hours away. Last month, barley producers received a bright blue envelope containing the mail-in voting ballot. That ballot must be in the mail by the end of today to be eligible. Four candidates are running for three positions on the SAS Barley Board. They are Chad Ferguson of Nakem, Gord Molenbach of Engelfeld, Matt Enns from Rossthurn, and Thomas Sunderland of Quill Lake. Sask Barley interviewed all four candidates, and the following audio comes from the Barley Bin podcast. First of all, Chad Ferguson and his family farm 3,500 acres in the Nakem area. He has a degree in plant sciences from the University of Saskatchewan, as well as a diploma in agribusiness. He also spent nearly a decade working at an inland grain terminal. Started when I was going to university and then continued that farming part-time, I guess you could say, or alongside our our family farm. And I did that for nine years, ended up being the uh, grain marketing manager and manager of logistics for that terminal. So I seen firsthand from, I guess I'll call it the other side of the desk, as to how it works, you know, for how farmers, you know, interact with this product and how they want to market it, how they want to ship it. And then also got to see the end users as well, you know, all of the good and all of the bad, right? So taking those experiences from that and bringing that to the barley table, I think there's a lot of ideas and experiences that can be shared to try and learn and grow different areas and creates a good background to have a lot of opinions on what could or shouldn't happen, I guess you could say. Gord Mollenbach has farmed in the Engelfeld area for 40 years. Gord and his brothers run a mixed farming operation, which includes a shorthorn cattle herd. He is a past 4-H leader and supervisor at Depker Industries. Gord talks about the importance of newly developed barley varieties that are funding in part by grower level levies. The shorter varieties that are coming out now, we see that we get a nicer straw from it, not quite as much, so we don't have to use tillage the way we used to. And I think uh, that is one thing that everybody is kind of adapting and learning to change a little bit on what we're doing. I think we've done well on the um, yield side of things for malt. 
I'd like to uh, continue on with uh, on the feed side of things. We have some good feed varieties, but I think more can be done maybe with a forage uh, would be one area that could be looked at. Matt Enns is running for re-election on the Sask Barley Commission. Enns farms 8,500 acres with his father in the Rosthern area and is involved with a craft brewery. He says producer levies are important in developing improved varieties. So we have a couple of breeders in Western Canada that you could really say are potentially the best barley breeders in the world, which is, is pretty neat to say. And I think sometimes even Saskatchewan barley growers don't understand our place in the world that we produce more malt barley here some years in the entire United States. And, uh, you know, guys like Aaron Beattie and Anna Badea, both within a short drive, really, are world-class. And, and so Sask Barley, it would be, I guess, the biggest financial supporter of those programs. So they really do a lot in terms of bringing us new varieties that give us yield, disease resistance, standability, and, you know, the competitive advantage we need to stay in that position. And finally, Thomas Sunderland farms 7,500 acres with his father and brothers in the RM of Ponus Lake in the Quill Lake region. About half of their acres are seeded to barley annually. Thomas has his diploma in ag business. He talks about one opportunity and one challenge for the barley sector. Saskatchewan is really ideally suited for growing malt barley and we see a lot of other areas particularly in the united states where barley production is being pushed back i know talking with with malting company we we grow with they said their acres continually be seem to be reduced pushed back by by corn and um i really see that as a as a good export you know opportunity for for our industry another issue that we really have seen and really play out this year is the issue of chitting in the barley. I mean, we the, the newer varieties, you know, are, are bred for quick germination, so for the maltsters, which is good, but, I mean, it resulted in slight showers and then everybody had a bunch of chitted barley. The voting deadline for the Sask barley election is 4 o'clock this afternoon. Voting res- results will be announced in mid-December. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Farm Bulletin Board. The Ranchers University is coming up and will be held in Mooseman this Friday and Saturday. The event will cover topics including keeping versus buying replacement heifers, ration building and using cow bites, selecting forage-efficient cows, record-keeping, and learning from feeding mistakes. The cost to register for this event is $100 per person. The in-person portion is sold out, but you can still go online. If you'd like to register, simply call the Agriculture Knowledge Centre at 1-866-457-2377. Once again, that's a toll-free number if you would like to register for this virtual event, one 866 Four five seven two three seven seven. 
You can also place a bid on grassland restoration with the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation. If you're interested in seeding cultivated land back to native prairie, you can place a bid in their reverse auction for an opportunity to receive financial compensation for your restoration project. By restoring grasslands, you increase long-term grazing resources, biodiversity, and reduce habitat fragmentation for species at risk, especially in areas of critical habitat. Bidding closes on January 31st. You can contact the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation for more information and how to place a bid. Go to www.ssgf.ca. You can email them at communications at ssgf.ca or call them at 306-530-1385. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly to mainly sunny, winds west-northwest at 15 to 25, and a high of plus 1 degree. For tonight, mainly cloudy, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 5. For tomorrow, mainly cloudy, winds west-southwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 2, an overnight low of minus 9. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud. Winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 4. For Saturday, mainly cloudy, a high of minus 2. And Sunday, mainly sunny, also a high of minus 2. In the Paw, it's minus 2 degrees. Swan River, Show Lake Russell and Roblin are at minus 1. Dauphin and Brandon, plus 3. Regina and Hudson Bay are at plus 2, Saskatoon 0, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head plus 1, Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 1. The Yorkton Melville region has a sunny sky, a west wind at 22 kilometers an hour, 75% is the relative humidity, the temperature is plus 2 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskAg Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.